Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is the show where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other tech topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by our co-hosts, Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions, Shaheen Khan from Orion X, and Jesse Lanham, our millennial standout co-host. Now let's get to the show. Hello and welcome everybody to another fantastic episode of Radio Free HPC. I'm, as always, Dan Olds, joined by Jesse Lanham. How's it going, Jesse? It's going okay. You doing okay? Yeah, yeah. It's dead week. Class is going okay? It's dead week next week, so we're powering through. Oh, good. Very nice. And Shaheen Khan down in the valley. How you doing, Shaheen? Hey, Dano. How are things? Things are good, but things are exciting. Do you two know why things are exciting? Tell us, Dan. I have no idea. Why aren't things exciting? Well, one reason Henry's not here to go ahead and start disagreeing with me right off the bat. That's a good thing. He's probably packing. He is. He is T minus seven days, I believe. He would know. Fill the move. (laughs) The other reason, there's two other reasons why things are exciting. The other reason is we're going to have, wait for it, wait for it, a contest. Yes. Yeah. You heard me right. I said a contest. Did you hear that, Jesse? I did. And I'm waiting to hear the details like a competitive person. Well, here are some details. We are going to have a email contest, the 18th email we receive at podcast at radiofreehpc.com will receive a fantastic prize. What is that prize? I am going to dig deep into my prize bin, pull something out, and then this lucky recipient will be receiving a UPS or FedEx shipment that has the prize in it. So we're going to need your name. We're going to need your shipping address in that email in order to qualify. It's a high bar. Only if they're a winner. Or do we need it from uh, everybody that? No, we out? don't need it. We don't need it from everybody. We're not trying. Welcome to you. our phishing scam. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if, if, if you are the winner, you'll be notified. Yes. But we do need your email address. So we'll respond to that email address and get your deets from you. Well, if they email us, they probably... Well, don't email us from a throwaway account. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, email us from an account that you you will check at least one more time. Now, since we only have, well, 12 confirmed listeners, maybe 16 on some shows, this is a stretch goal because it is the 18th. Yes, and these are unique emails, right? The same person can't email us 18 times. No, we are not allowing that. That is something that the judges frown upon. Well, Dan, it's not every day that you reach into the famous RFHPC award grab bag. This will be the first time. And I kind of hate it because I've been collecting these things for years. So there's some of them are vintage. Yes. Yes. In fact, the one I'm looking at right now, all this stuff is unused. That's like storage wars. (laughs) I know. It is. You don't know what might be inside this, but it will. Basically one of those Amazon boxes that you can randomly get. It'll be a cut above what you could get at a good trade show. Oh, interesting. That might just be worthwhile. Or several cuts below. You take your chances. (laughs) But the the third exciting thing that we have going on here is a special guest. Yes. Yes. This is the third thing or the second thing? This is the third thing. First thing, no Henry. Oh, no Henry qualifies. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Second thing, amazing contest. Third thing, special guest that we have in a pre-recorded segment that does feature Henry Newman. Oh, so Henry has a cameo. He does. So let's go ahead and go into that now. 
Folks, we have a wonderful guest today. It is David Barkai, and he's embarked on a little bit of a project which is discussing the last 50 years of supercomputing, which is incredible, but he's got the resume to be able to do it. He's been in the business for more than 35 years and has a PhD in theoretical physics, high energy elementary particles. He kind of took the easy way out in school, I guess. <laughs> but uh, he's been around the horn in terms of HPC with controlled data, floating point systems, Cray, and Intel for the most part, along with a stint at NASA Ames. So David, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me here. Great to have you on. Happy to be here. And uh, just to comment that I've been around in the HPC area for more than 35 years, probably 10 or 15 years longer than that, <laughs> which is why I'm sitting at home now and having time to uh, think about the past and try to put it together in writing. So David, what is this book about? Well, part of it is just looking back at my professional history, which is the lesser important part of the whole project. But I was thinking that we're talking a lot about how HPC has been changing and evolving over the years. And it's become more common now in the public to think about high-performance computing. Yeah. And I looked around and I thought, well, maybe a time to say, well, okay, what good did it do? How did we use supercomputing in what way it helped? And I know for the public who is not an HPC practitioner, it's not always clear. Even within the community, people are focused in a pretty narrow area. Somebody is maybe a sitting engineer in Boeing or thinking about how to do CFD to design airplanes. But it's very rarely that people have the broad view of the whole area. The basic theme of the book, applications, architectures, and as much as possible, telling it through other people's experiences and insights. That's great. So... David, that covers an awful lot of ground. How's the book organized? So I've decided to do a combination, kind of a two-prong thing. One is to look as to how the computer systems have changed over the 50 years. And I've divided into five main periods, divided by 10 years. And it's kind of more or less fits. It's never a clear-cut line. And the other side of it is to accompany that kind of evolution of computer architectures with applications of what people use the computers for. Mm -hmm. I was hoping to tell the stories through different people that I will interview and get their stories. Incidentally, I've done so with Shaheen, and we had a long conversation, and I got a lot of information about array processors and the history of floating point systems and et cetera, et cetera. And I've talked to several other people before. That's great. So I broke it down into five parts. The first, I started the 70s. The main theme there is vector processors. In terms of computer architectures, I'm talking now. The 80s, I will refer to as multiprocessors and the beginning of parallelism, and it may be coarse grain, plus array processors. The 90s will be massive parallelism in commodity processors. And after 2000, we're talking about clusters and accelerators. And after 2010, going up to today, it will be how HPC has moved into data analytics, AI, and cloud computing. That sounds great. So these are kind of the basic five 
periods in the last 50 years as I see them. And as I said, you can always find exceptions to what I'm saying here. But this is the main theme there. How about the application areas, David? Yes. Application area will be scattered through the period, and I'll try to touch on part or all of them for each of the period and, and try to describe what's happened in that area. The first one I'm most fond of, actually, it's a weather and climate modeling. The second is engineering, by which I mean CIE and CFD and so on. The third one is life science. And the last one, it's really science, which is not of immediate benefit to society, perhaps, because I want to talk about things like astrophysics and uh -huh. QCD and stuff like that. And maybe just to tease some interest of people, maybe it doesn't relate to everyday life, but I thought it would be. So, David, this, this is Henry. I got a question. I've said for many years to my family, kind of not as a joke, but to try to explain what we did at HPC, that... For Seymour Cray, every drug you took, every car you drove in, every plane you flew in from about the late 60s until the early 90s was designed on a computer that Seymour Cray built. What do you think of that statement? <laughs> so I would say that, yeah, it is true that much of it was designed. Well, it's not just every computer. There was a lot of engineering done with DEC, for example, digital computing and others. But yeah, the big stuff is... In fact, I'm not sure Boeing may have had a claim maybe one time, but most of them... No, they have Cyber 175s and Cyber 7600s. Yes. I was there for some of those. Yeah, there was the Cybers when Control Data was still a, yep. a real company. Yep. That's true. But my comment is, yeah, it's true that a lot of the design had to do with computings. But when I wanted to tell the story, how it's culminated when we got to the uh, 777, and the whole design was digital. Mm. They only built a mock airplane just to comply with regulation. That was in, the, I guess, in the late 90s. Wow. So we got to the stage where the full design was. Initially, the floor was simulated, but the mechanics, the engineering, we still have to build a bunch of mock-ups before they actually finish the design. Ah. And that ended up later on with a dream. The dreamliner. The Dreamliner, yeah. Fantastic. Jesse, did you have a question? Yeah, so my question, as a young professional who would absolutely love to read this sort of book to get a understanding of HPC that usually you end up spending hours with people asking questions about, is who are you writing it for? Is it more for HPC practitioners, people like me, the younger techies? Who is it for? When I put a proposal to the publisher and asked me who is the audience going to be, I came up with a three types. The first one... The audience would be the HPC professional, kind of people who will go to the supercomputing conference, for example. Mm -hmm. And not that they can learn programming for it, but they can just get the big picture of things and maybe be interested in some history. The second one are people who are not part of the HPC community, but they keep hearing people talk about supercomputing and artificial intelligence and so on. And they may have, an, hopefully, an inkling to find out more about it. Third possibility, and I probably go by order of likelihood here, mm -hmm. the third possibility is even for students of engineering fields, I don't know, people who take courses in computational science, engineering schools, in chemistry and so on, and they want to use a reference to a, what kind of things can be done with that kind of thing. So people who have more superficial touching on the area or maybe beginning their career. 
So this, in my mind, are the types of people who may be interested in the book. I would say that when the time comes and we start denoting names of people who maybe contributed here, some people may want to get the book and see what their friends have been doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like you've met an awful lot of people in your career and also in writing this book. You said that you're kind of looking at this through the eyes of others. Yeah, I wanted to give examples of people's own experience with what they did. And I want to use this platform also to invite people to contribute. Maybe when we come to the end, I can leave my email address or something that people who may listen to the podcast can get in touch with me. We only have an audience of about 16. (laughs) It's my mom. But we will put your email address on the website. Right. Okay. Yeah, so luckily, with, especially with my time at Intel, I had the chance of meeting some of the big names. You talk about I'm trying to get other people's stories. I will insert some of my own experiences. I can maybe spend a minute on that. Sure. In the early period, I'll talk about vectorizing weather model for the UK Met Office. Ooh. One of the last big battles between control data and query research. And I've been in the midst of it, so I can tell the story on that. I also was probably some years in the early 80s in the forefront of QCD because I have access to Cyber 205 and I had friends in the theoretical physics community, so we published a bunch of papers. I had access to some numerical methods. I was luckily spent a year, my first year in the States, I spent at Fort Collins at CSU at the same year that the father of Multigrid mm. spent a sabbatical there. He's also an Israeli compatriot, so we both hung up together and we did some work on vectorizing Multigrid. That gets a little too technical, perhaps, but it may be in there. Later on in the 90s, I wanted to talk about how people thought about Petaflop. Oh, yeah. And I was lucky to participate in the Petaflop workshop in Pasadena in the mid-90s that Thomas Sterling organized. I will include in the book, I'm sure I have a permission to do it, a beautiful picture with Seymour Cray in the center and a bunch of us standing around him. I'd love this picture because I'm standing right next to Seymour there. Oh, great. And uh, so, but uh, the idea was to talk about how people thought about future computing 10 years ahead of time. And you know that Tom Sterling later on actually put together a publication of looking back as to what did we get right and what didn't we get right. So that's an interesting story there. Mm-hmm. Then my time in Intel, I organized an HPC roundtables where we brought all the people from the national labs in academia and research to tell Intel what we're doing wrong. And there were some interesting encounters there. But most of it, obviously, I will rely on other people. That sounds fascinating. So, David, did you did you have a favorite supercomputer in all these years? Well, I have... I have a special uh, affinity to the Cyber 205. <laughs> you like long vectors. I, I, you like long vectors. <laughs> I spend I spend months in Arden Hills. I, I think, Henry, you are from the Twin Cities, right? I live there now for another uh, seven days. Oh. I'm not from there, but I probably know some of the people you knew, like Clay Kirkland and a whole bunch of other names in the uh, Cyber 205 community, the benchmarking group. You know Bob Koch? I know Bob. Yep. He's in Florida. Yeah. One of the other things you want to look at, you were talking about UK Met, you ought to look at the FENMOC 203 to 205 upgrade. That was another 
big challenge between Cray and control data back in those days. I, yeah, I was involved, actually. I, they flew me out to Monterey to talk to people there at that time. So I was, I was yes. there, too. Yeah, yeah. And I was involved in the replacement at NAVO back in 88. So. Oh, okay. Okay. I was recruited by Control Data in London. That's why I was involved with the ECMWF and the UK Met. But they brought me over to spend months on end in the winter of Minnesota in Arden <laughs> Hills, vectorizing that, and we changed a whole model to 32 bits. And then the UK Met won with Cyber 205 and ECMWF won with the Cray 1. Mm. It, was, it was an interesting times. But mostly when I talk about weather and climate, I'm trying to get the story so saying, how the evolution helped in what we get out of the modeling. What does it do? So we start off when you can predict or forecast weather to two or three days, and you go up to 10 and 14 days, and then you introduce a uh, more physical processes, and you get cloud convections, and you get severe weather and mesoscale modeling. I got the whole WRF stories already done, oh, good. by the way. I've talked to the lead developer there, who is also an old friend, John Michalakis. So I wanted to see how, and I'm trying to get information. For example, if you can predict the landing of a hurricane that comes through a more accurate forecasting, what does it do economically oh. in terms of saving life and saving property and not having to close if you have a broad prediction, then you're trying to shut down a whole bunch of states and businesses. If you know more accurately, you can pinpoint it more, the area that needs to be protected. And there is a lot of savings uh, economically as well as life. Oh, absolutely. The other extreme is even a smaller phenomena such as tornado forming. If you can warn people, which we're getting to the stage now, but you had to evolve the modeling and the computer capabilities to be able to give people, um, say, half an hour warning instead of 10 minutes. And that saves a lot of life because people can shelter or get away. And that really has a huge impact. Any more warning that you can give over and above what people have now and anything more accurate. As well as agriculture and transportation and the whole area of applications that touch on weather. That's before we got into the whole climate prediction, which is another area which, sadly, the world is not paying too much attention to yet. I really love the foundational concept of your book of providing specific examples as to how HPC is helpful. I think that does a world of good instead of sweeping generalizations, you know, AI in general, but really baiting it down into, you know, 30 minutes versus 10 minutes, how many lives can we save and looking at those specifics. David, what is the timeline for the book? When can we expect to see it in print? The publisher wanted the book in a year, and I said, I need two years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to work myself to death on that one. <laughs> it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, and I really think that I will need the two years. They just look at the rate. So I've added, what, now three months or so, three or four months. Mm -hmm. I have a structure of about 20 chapters now and only about maybe a quarter of them done. Mm. It's building up, but it takes a lot of time to transcribe sure. um, recorded conversation. To me, it takes a lot of time. No, I think you're right. It, I mean, it's one thing to transcribe it. It's the other to actually rewrite it so it's suitable for a book. Yeah, Shaheen knows I had to go back and forth trying to capture what he was saying or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's after using all the tools that are available. Yeah. But one of the big announcements for me, incidentally, is whether we're going to have supercomputing conference this year. 
because that would have been a wonderful week for me to catch a lot of people, oh, yeah. try to catch them half an hour on the side and get their thoughts and make a lot of notes and recording. Yes. I was looking forward to it and we'll see how it's going to play out. Well, I've definitely have my fingers crossed for you for that reason, but also because I want to be at supercomputing this year too, along with the rest of us. David, this has been a fantastic interview, and I think it's going to be an amazing book. There isn't anything else out there like it. What's the title of the book, David? The working title, how did, what did I end up with? I said something like 50 years of HPC, evolution of a tool. Mm. That kind of the, the working things. And Well, actually, I preceded it by saying unmatched. Uh-huh. Unmatched 50 years of HPC. I compare supercomputing to Moore's Law. Turns out that HPC, if you look at the top system, have advanced at the rate was between 10 to 15 times faster than Moore's Law. Mm. Quick way to looking at it, if you assume that Moore's Law gives you a doubling every two years, let's say two years, and you look at a period of 12 years, so you get a 64x in number of gates or performance or whatever. During a 12 years period, HPC have gone up at a rate of 1,000 times. Wow. The timeline between gigaflop and the first teraflop and then the first petaflop and now the next exascale is roughly 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the difference between 64 and 1,000 is about a factor of 15. So about 15 times faster rate than the technology of computing, the basic processor technology in terms of speed. Then Bohr's law. And that, of course, how did they do it? We added complexity, we added parallelism, and we ran into various other barriers such as power and so on, and software sophistication in various other ways. So I call it unmatched 50 years of high-performance computing or HPC, and I want to describe it as a tool that people use because it gives us some benefits. Well, fantastic. I know that we're all looking forward to the book. Please keep us up to date as you make more progress on it. And we can guarantee, I think, based on our 16 listeners, that maybe three quarters of them will buy it. So that's good. Maybe half. Maybe half. Plus us. Six to 12. Plus us. Plus us. Plus us. So you've got some guaranteed sales. Also, just so you know, give me a call whenever you want to interview me as one of the titans of HPC. Sure. I'm available. I'm very available. (laughs) I thought you were going to make that joke about me there, Dan. No. <laughs> for all of for one year. But seriously, David, how do people reach you if they want to contribute to the project? Whoever listens to the podcast, I invite you to share with me your stories of HPC, of how it applies in life. And I will give you here my email address. It's david.m.barkai at gmail.com. And my last name, Barkai, spells B as in boy, A-R-K-A-I. All right. Thank you. Great. I hope we have a bunch of people that take you up on that and make your book even richer. What I realized in conversation that Henry can give me stories for going back about the same length of time that I go back. No, no, no. (laughs) Not that far, David. No. (laughs) I take offense to that. (laughs) You don't want to date yourself. (laughs) David, just so you know, I began in 81. Yeah, but you were just out of high school? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I wish.
David, thank you so much for your time. I know that I'm really looking forward to this book as the rest of us are. And through our vast audience of 16, we could probably guarantee you anything between six and 12 sales. So you've got that going for you. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> so thanks again. And we will be looking for the book and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much. Well, that was another great interview, don't you think? Yes, that's an excellent project. I'm looking forward to the book. I, I really am too. I think it's going to be very interesting. And really, David is so uniquely qualified to tell that story. He's been there for each and every one of the 50 years he's recounting. <laughs> but in addition to that, he's really had an interest in the application side of supercomputing from the very beginning. I do like how he's breaking it down into applications. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and as Jesse was saying, these examples really make a world of difference. So mm -hmm. looking forward to that. And definitely should bring him back to give us like a progress report. Sure. You know what I'm looking forward to? The catch of the week. All right. So Jesse, what do you got? So oddly enough, my Google alert went off uh -oh. and Google's head of quantum computing hardware has resigned. No. I know. Which... For some of us, okay, cool. We look at that and then we move on. But what I wanted to know from Jean, probably mostly, sorry, Dan, is wh what, what does this mean? It, it means we all move up a notch, doesn't it? We all got promoted. <laughs> we all move infinitesimally closer Google user 4, to being the head of Google. Yes. Right. No, no. Yeah. He's obviously one of the rock stars of quantum computing and has done a lot to advance Google's standing, including the whole quantum supremacy announcement that they had right. last year. That's right. Uh, yeah. So all of that happened on his watch. He is a professor at UC Santa Barbara, and I think that'll continue. I think the company managed it really well in terms of just being a little bit authentic about what all had happened and how things were going to move forward. And they do have a good deep bench. However, I think it's a gloss. And what did happen? Just for the listeners who haven't uh, read the story. So according to the news reports, he was going to now be an advisor to the project. And I think that being an advisor and having somebody else lead the program was causing some misalignment that he thought might get in the way of producing an actual machine. Ah. Hopefully that means that they'll continue to collaborate. That's the understanding that I got. Mm, okay. Okay. So we parted as adults. Good. I like that. That's great. Uh, what do you have as a catch, Shaheen? Right, so I have a paper that is on the archive uh, website, and it's called A Survey on Coarse-Grained Reconfigurable Architectures from a Performance Perspective. Mm, that sounds like light reading. It's very light reading, and it is written by Riken folks in Japan, mm. Professor Matsuoka's lab that is building the post-K machine. Ah. And it is interesting because it is looking at FPGAs and how if you build the FPGAs from coarser blocks than traditionally done, and they go back doing a full survey of everybody who's done this kind of a thing. So they're not claiming like they invented this. They're saying, here's the history of this whole trend. And I think it's a prelude into what we might expect to see in future machines from them. But CGRAs, which is sort of the acronym you want to memorize in addition to FPGAs okay. are looking to be the next big thing in FPGA land and allow to maintain the performance cycle time, but also make it more programmable. 
I like the sound of that. You won't find a bigger fan of the FPGA than me. I know. FPGA is lucky to have you in their corner. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think that there's an awful lot of possibilities with those and we need to keep an eye on it, right? Exactly. Now there's no Henry, so I'm going to do Henry's catch for him. Henry, what's your catch of the day? Well, Dan, you know, the really hard thing is I just got a call that my move that I thought was scheduled for the 29th is actually scheduled for the 30th. I've got to go fix some people. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That was actually me sounding like Henry, just for people that are confused out there that was actually me so yeah that i think people are starting to really uh, get confused with all of your various accents i know i'm the man of three voices <laughs> that's what they call me now my catch of the week kind of relates to what shaheen just said i want to encourage everyone out there to go listen to our charles babbage his life and times podcast it's the first time that the radio free hpc players in association with Radio Free HPC Studio Productions, I think I've got that right, that we've actually put on a radio drama. Radio Free HPC Studios. The first production from the Radio Free HPC Studios. And I've got to say, just objectively, it's fantastic. (laughs) Objectively stellar. Yes, yes. and Well, the reviews are really good. (laughs) The reviews are rolling in. I was particularly interested in that publication you had. What was it, like Laminar Flow Observer or something like that? (laughs) Something. (laughs) Yeah. We did get a good review from them, but also from, I believe it was the Limpact Times or something like that. One of them said, we laughed until we stopped. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Was positive, positive everywhere. Oh, yeah. Fluid Dynamics Theater Reviews. That's it. Fluid Dynamics Theater My Reviews. My favorite. I could clearly yes. hear voices and things. That's right. So that's good. Yeah. A highly influential wagon. <laughs> <laughs> Broadway. So you can find that at RadioFreeHPC.com, or you could find it on iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you find high-quality podcasts. We'll be there, too. Right. So with that, keep a couple of things in mind. First of all, our contest. The 18th email we receive at podcast at radiofreehpc.com will win a fabulous prize. So get those emails coming in. Number two, stay safe. We need all the listeners we can get. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We really appreciate it. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Boom. Well, it's time for me to nap. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to include that. <laughs> yeah, shove that up right after my boom. <laughs> Time for a nap. <laughs> Jesse echoing all of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Not a unique thought, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening. <laughs>